Pete Wright, ugh, there's a fly. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that scared me. It was really right up in my grill. Pete Wright, we have talked about social anxiety quite a bit on this podcast and about how it can be tough to socialize when you get older. But I have a related question for you. Have you ever been to a rave for rodents? I don't know what any of what you're talking about means. A rave, you know, like, but for rodents, you might someday because professors at John Hopkins University, Pete, have started giving ecstasy to mice. No. <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell? No, uh, sometimes. No, oh, you want me to you want to keep talking about this? OK, well, I was going to do the opener, but yeah, we can we can dive into this. Whatever, a little bit. whatever. Just a little bit. Just a nugget. Maybe sure. Just, maybe just a tab. Uh, about that? <laughs> let me explain a little bit more. <laughs> when we are younger through our adolescence, our brains are more malleable and open to various input. These early moments are called critical periods, and scientists have speculated that there might be a critical period for social behaviors. This would be a time when learning social behavior and doing social behavior feels extra good. Now, scientists at JHU put mice of different ages in a new social setting and let them pick between hanging out by themselves or socializing with a new mouse group. Like it a like a mixer, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> Around adolescence, the mice really wanted to be social, and that tendency got less and less as they got older. They just sort of, as they got older, they just wanted to hang out by themselves. But then, Pete, the mouse Ecstasy. Molly kicked in. Exactly. <laughs> when the scientists dosed older mice with MDMA, it was as if the critical period had reopened and the oldies wanted to party with new friends again. To the researchers' knowledge, this is the first time that scientists have characterized a critical period for finding social learning rewarding. So this isn't a critical period for like conditioning yourself to drop a great high. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. It's supposed to, I mean, because they already know that MDMA helps uh, humans with PTSD and they uh -huh. think that this maybe helps explain that. Why? Because it's reopening up a critical period when you're more open to social behavior and you're more open to just life sort of in general. And this could really open up the sociability for older humans someday, which is, I don't know if this is what we should be doing with science, but for now, I just... <laughs> this is what we should be doing with science. I don't know what JHU has in store Rockets for us, but... Yeah. or uh, planetary exploration or acid mice. I, okay. Exactly. I just like picturing a party full of like sweaty mice hugging each other and listening to dubstep. <laughs> <laughs> They're all called Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. People ask all the questions that box you in. To classify your life with a stroke of a pen. Take those old rules, crumple them, throw them out. We're burning that box right now. Welcome to What's That Smell, a mostly funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out! Send us the story of your anxiety to showtalk at whatsthatsmell.net. And with that, I've got something to say. What's happening, Pete? What? So many things have changed. What, what do you mean? You just changed two things. You said mostly funny and show talk. What's happening? I didn't. What? It's, al happening? it's always been like that, Tom. No, no, it's not. What is this? You changed two things. It's always been. Uh, is this just to make me say it? I have to tell you right now, I'm a little bit hurt because I thought that this show was more important to you and that you would remember 
some of the basics. <laughs> What's happening? Better. Whatever. Have I been doing Molly? <laughs> Tom, I need to tell you, uh, I need to tell you a little story. Okay. It's from some time ago. All right. I I was. <laughs> why do you sound so upset? Because because you don't care about the show anymore. No, it's because I think I'm talking to like alternative universe, Pete. <laughs> that's weird. That's weird, and I'm a little hurt. I was sitting at dinner with my family. This was some years ago, and we started talking about you know how funny memory is that that it's kind of elastic, right? Okay. I think, you know, my, my wife or I had heard this this story on the news uh, on uh, you know probably NPR or Fox News. And uh, it, it was a story about this research that said, you know, the more you remember a thing, the worse your memory of it is in terms of its overall accuracy. So the best oh. way to remember something is to actually not think about it too often, which I find bananas. <laughs> I, you know, I, that's not what we're talking about today, but that's just how this conversation got started. And I, I think it was my daughter who is diabolical in her own lovely way suggested, you know, we, that's, you could like totally implant memories. On people, mm -hmm. Right. And I said, <laughs> you know, this is brilliant. Maybe if we work hard enough, we can implant the emotional memory of an experience in our family. And then we never have to actually do the thing. <laughs> you just you'll just have the memory for something that you didn't actually do. But precisely. And okay. thus, Tom, the right family trip to Disney World in which we all wore red berets and had a grand old time <laughs> together. <laughs> when was and this? We were, this was, yeah, this is probably five, six years ago. Uh -huh. And we work really hard at it. And we, uh, you know, we started like coming up with these details. And, and when we would talk about it, we would just pretend really hard that, you know, and not break the break the image, uh, you know, break the story. We would just talk to each other as if we actually did that. And over time, <laughs> it's a funny thing. You start to really invest in the fact that, oh, my goodness. Did we did we actually go to did we go to Disneyland Disney World? Yeah, we, I haven't actually been to Disney World since I was a kid. Right. Or maybe maybe I, I have. So <laughs> how rich is the story? Like, are there bad parts, too? Or is it just like a highlight reel? No, no. And at one point there's, you know, I started saying, you remember the anti-gravity ride? And I mean, it's just stuff that's like really, sure. like you just make stuff up. That, that's how, <laughs> the, how this all works. You just make stuff up. And, and since that time, a lot has changed in our modern media and political landscape, as I'm sure you, you're aware. And that little family exercise, which honestly, in, in my mind, it started as a way just to save a ton of money by not doing a thing, but instead collectively <laughs> lying to ourselves about it. Yeah, it, that has become a horrifying reality in which we risk no longer being able to believe anything happening in the world around us mm. today, Tom. I'd like to talk to you about gaslighting. Oh, I love it. Oh, so timely. <laughs> I just went from yes, like so excited to so like uh, gaslighting. Yeah, I know. And you know what? I do have this anxiety. And what's yep. worse, I think more of us need to have this anxiety. Hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've actually come to this this conversation thinking, I don't think enough people are thinking about this critically. And it scares the crap out of me. If it makes you feel any better, I on my phone, uh, I keep a list of possible topics. And one of them that I'm now going to take off was misinformation. 
Okay. Because I think there you're going go. to be covering it right now. So, yes, it's clearly on my mind. And for the record, we are not a mostly funny podcast. We're only <laughs> sometimes funny. And <laughs> nobody should write us at show talk at some at what's that smell. That's not an email address that exists. It's still something stinky at what's that smell. God, uh, but you, you couldn't just let me have show talk at what's that smell dot net for a little bit longer. <laughs> No, I, I can't because I want to know, like, you you kind of dove into it a little bit and, like, right, you were, even though you know that's not true and that I was messing with you, tell me you knew I was messing with you. I did, but, I mean, okay. I did, but, you know, it was still very unnerving immediately. It is. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Especially when it comes back around to, you know, you make me feel bad when you don't remember in things that are important that I thought were important to us. <laughs> right. Because you really personalized and, it and you. Exactly. You weaponized your thing. And because I know this thing is really important to you. Right. This is <laughs> yes. a thing that is deeply important to you. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about what gaslighting is. Uh, it is a form of manipulation, psychological manipulation that seeks to, quote, sow the seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, making them question their own memory, perception and sanity using persistent denial, misdirection, contradiction and lying. It attempts to destabilize the victim and delegitimize the victim's beliefs. There are two broad categories of uh, gaslighting. One, where the victim is not aware that gaslighting is intentional, that they, they don't know that it's happening to them. And the second, where the victim is fully aware mm. that they're being gaslit, but they can't say anything because no one will believe them. Right. right. So and that's that gets into the Cassandra. Cassandra, I was about this? to say yes, one of my that's favorites. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Cassandra, Priam's daughter, King of Troy, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Apollo thought she was hot and gave her the gift of prophecy. And then she said, no, I'm not going to come with you. And he said, curse, you are cursed so that you still have the gift of prophecy, but no one will ever believe you. Classic gaslighting. She went bonkers it, all yep. downhill from there. So that's Cassandra syndrome. Uh, so gaslighting is gross. and. Uh, it's happening all the time. Do you know where gaslighting the term came from? I would like more specifics, but I believe it came from an old movie. Even before that. That I saw in college. Oh, yeah, then no. Absolutely. Well, there were two movies. The most recent one and the better one was a George Cukor uh, version of the, the film uh, Gaslight in 1944. There was another one before that in 1940, but the play itself oh. uh, was written by Patrick Hamilton in 1938. And the story has evolved in the films since the play. But we got to talk a little bit about why Gaslight. And I thought this was really interesting. Right. So the story in the original play, the husband is attempting to convince his wife and others that she's insane. Right. Uh, by manipulating these elements of, of her environment. But it starts because he is in their attic and he's looking for jewels of the woman that he killed. Right. And in order to do that, he has to turn on the gas lights in the attic. But in these old gas lighting systems, when you turned on a gas light in one room, if there was a gas light on in another room, it would dim. They would all dim when oh. another light is turned on. Okay. So the wife is sitting downstairs and the gas light goes on in the attic and her lights dim. And so she says to her husband, hey, I noticed the gas light dimmed. What's that all about? And he said, no, they didn't. <laughs> and thus gaslighting was born. 
Uh, and so he goes on to try to make her think she's completely crazy. And in the movie, eventually, you know, it, it's it, his intentions are are different. Right. He doesn't just sort of stumble on this. He's like intentionally trying to to drive her bonkers. And you should you, you see the movie, the Cucor version. 1944 is great. OK. And so so there you go. Do you, now. And right, haunted, so haunted honeymoon. Have we brought that up with Gilda uh, Radner? No, we 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 haven't brought up haunted honeymoon i'll let you take that go ahead you have the floor i I don't want to (laughs) i just know that that's a movie that's pretty much about this they're trying to uh, convince gene wilder that he's insane and it's a really weird movie i just wanted to say that for all of our wilder heads out there (laughs) i I don't think i've actually seen it i've heard of it but good call uh, i wouldn't have been able to tell you anything good call (laughs) yeah uh, so tell me, give me your experience uh, with gaslighting. What do you what do you know of it? And what is your your experience with it? What is your I mean, if it was on your list, what is your fear of it? Well, you know, we don't want to get too political, but how prevalent it is and how it just seems to be that we are past truth <laughs> at times and how mm-hmm. things aren't breaking down. Well, wait, I want things to break down a little bit more, but instead it's just becoming sort of normal with everyone sort of digging in with their beliefs and doing whatever it takes in order to make their case real. I mean, that's just very, as I said before, unnerving. It, it is. It, it is. I think the unnerving thing for me is that, it, as you say, this behavior is normalized. Right. right. It is a thing that is accepted, that we now believe, we've been conditioned to believe that everyone is lying to us at some level. And uh, that that scares me. And and yeah. so when but the fact when that we it's, talk... it's believed to be fair now, it's, right? It's allowed right. because you're it's, you. It's your cause or your belief is so important that anything it takes. I mean, just yeah, it's a yeah. it's it's a thing breaking down. I immediately thought of this first and foremost about our political discourse in this country, which is a disaster, right? It's it's a nightmare. And um, but but it, as I start looking into it, I you know I'm I am. I'm corrected. My course is corrected that that when this is even more dangerous is when it is deeply interpersonal. Right. When it's used in an abusive uh, partner relationship, spousal relationship. Right. The National Domestic Violence Hotline has a fact sheet where they talk about the broad skills that a gaslighter is going to employ in their efforts to manipulate, to to uh, to keep. A, a sociopathic sort of narcissist in order to keep power will use gaslighting techniques with their relationship uh, in, in order to keep power over this person, this individual. And, and that's terrifying, withholding, like refusing to listen or being willfully ignorant of of the world around them, countering, question the target's memory of an event, right? This is what I did to you, right? Of course, it's always been show talk at What's That Smell, Tom. <laughs> you're the crazy one, right? right? Blocking and diverting, right? Changing the subject or questioning the target's thinking, right? How, how, like, what could you possibly be thinking that that's okay in your mind, right? Using that kind of language, trivializing, finding a way to make the target feel unimportant, right? Or forgetting willful, this sort of willful ignorance of actual events, denying previous agreements. And one of the reasons this jumped out this week for me is all of the press around, uh, you know, as we record this, this was the big week of Julian Assange uh, getting uh, dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of, uh, you know, clips, a lot of video recordings of our president saying, I love WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks. And the cable news outlets have had a field day yeah. of playing all of these clips back to back to back to back to back 
of our president saying how much he loves WikiLeaks, loves Julian Assange, and then cut to this week when the president is asked and he says, I don't know, what is WikiLeaks? It's not in, it's I don't know. Do, it's uh, not my thing. It's right. not my thing. Right. It's not my thing. Well, that is classic power gaslighting behavior. Now, I, I single out the president because it's low hanging fruit, right? Mm. We have uh, just a lot of uh, evidence that says this is this is his natural um, sort of resting space is, you know, in his interpersonal relationships. He is not alone. It is happening on both sides of the political spectrum. There's just not as much evidence that I have, you know, easily accessible because it, it's just so easy to find the president doing sure. This. Sure, sure. Whatever. Psychology Today has uh, a, an even more detailed list of signs that you're hanging with a gaslighter. And and that's, <laughs> y- you know, <laughs> I feel like we should just I should just list these quickly. Yeah, uh, because you should know. Right. You should be thinking about this in your relationship. That's just and, the way that you said it. It sounded like a listicle on BuzzFeed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which gaslighter from Riverdale <laughs> would you be or whatever it is? Yeah, totally. That's yeah. uh, absolutely true. And Archie, he's yeah. a massive gaslighter. <laughs> uh, look, so number one, they tell blatant lies, right? You have observable evidence that what they're saying is not true, yeah. and yet they continue to say it. Number two, they deny they ever said something, even though you have proof. Number three, they use what is near and dear to you as ammunition. Right. You you know, your kids are uh, important to you. They're going to find a way to tell you that your life would have been better had you not had kids. Right. Those kinds of things. Right. They'll wear you down over time. Right. And in the process, they'll build you up a little bit, too, uh, because you need positive reinforcement in order for the negative reinforcement to stick. What's an example of that? You know, I really you have great choice in clothes. I love the shirts that you pick out. Um, They really hide uh, the uh, problems with your bone structure. (laughs) Got it. So a carrot carrot (laughs) and a stick. Got it. Okay. Uh, And that's that is to to throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you. Right. Because when you're confused, you are weak. Right. Mm. But this is where it gets more complicated and and on the interpersonal relationship. And then I think by extension, our relationship with information and misinformation. Robin Stern of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and author of the book, The Gaslight Effect, Mm. a real know it all on the subject. Yep. uh, She says this. The gaslighter doesn't necessarily need to be acting with malicious intent, nor does the gaslighter necessarily need to realize they are gaslighting another person for it to be happening. What? Yeah, think about that. They don't need to know they're doing it for it to be happening. Because if you're spouting misinformation that you believe is true, you're actually taking part in the gaslighting without knowing it? Possibly, yes. The example that Robin uh, uses is maybe your parents had a very cut and dry belief, Mm. and that certainty is how they and now you see the world. And when someone sees things differently, you assume naturally that something is wrong with them. Okay, that's an example of of sort of playing into the gaslight effect. Right. So uh, I and and I think what calls attention to having to question your relationships with, um, you know, with with the people who may be very important to you, uh, but to make sure that you are uh, that, that they are healthy. 
and that they're strong and that your relationships with the information sources are healthy and strong and that you feel like you can you can trust them. But even the language that I'm using there that you feel like you can trust them. Yeah. Is essentially gaslit language. Just because I feel that I can trust it doesn't mean it's right and accurate and has my best interests at heart. (laughs) I guess. I mean, there's something sort of defeating about that. But I'm like, at some point, does it just sort of become about faith? Does it come up? Does it just become a thing of faith? Like you have to have faith that whoever I'm listening to has my best interests at heart. Because a lot of this stuff isn't I mean, I, I don't personally have the empirical evidence. I haven't gone over these things but i believe that vaccinations are important i believe that climate change we shouldn't keep it calling it climate change we should go back to calling it global warming but these are my Mm -hmm. but i don't have i haven't gone through the stuff i guess i've just put my lot in with the people that i believe the the real challenge here is is something that i uh, you know we may have talked about Uh, michael Crichton gave a a graduation speech where he talked about this uh, this paradox uh, where you're reading the news and let's say you're reading the entertainment section. Tom, as an entertainer yourself, as somebody who's in the business of entertainment, you're mm. reading the entertainment section of, I don't know what, the LA Times, your, yep. your local paper. And you I'm not it in it again. That's what I'm usually <laughs> saying. No mention exactly. of me. Yeah. What? I guess uh, like and- myself, I have a Sharpie and I just write my name in. <laughs> <laughs> So you're you're reading the paper and you see uh, uh, you're reading this article on, uh, you know, projections in uh, the film industry for the next year. And you're, mm-hmm. you see all of these problems with it, because in your experience and your business and the work that you do, you know a thing or two about this business. And you see all kinds of errors that the reporter has made in writing this story at, that make that questionable. Mm. Right. And and because of your personal investment and your professional experience, that is a rational response. Right. To say this. This is not true. This is not accurate. I'm going to move on. And you turn the page and suddenly you're reading about how they're going to achieve uh, Brexit without (laughs) uh, starting sectarian violence on the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. And suddenly you're like, wow, that's Mm. crazy. Hmm." Uh, I see. Sure. You don't know anything about the politics of Brexit apart from what has been said on the late night shows. And and you don't it's not in your world every day. And so you have no incentive to disbelieve. Mm -hmm. But that's the problem. It's what Crichton calls the wet streets cause rain effect that you believe it because it's in print and you trust it because it's in print because you have no incentive to disbelieve right. and that is the danger that we're that we have right now that we have to find those sources with which we can retrace right. their uh, their research their information if we choose to do that and sometimes we have to disagree with it and that is one of the ways to get out of a gaslit relationship with a with a, a media outlet is to find yourself uh, or is to start asking the harder questions that might result in you disagreeing with what is being presented and sometimes maybe cherry picking a little bit going through the work to say, hey, should I really trust what they've just written? Maybe right. I need to find some of the, the source material. Where else has this been reported? How can I verify this with another outlet? Maybe one that I don't agree with. It takes a lot more work to get out of a gaslighting relationship with media, um, but it's really important to do so. So, I mean, I think that everything you're saying should immediately be uh, connected to email forwards. Oh, God, they're the worst. Uh, I got one from a family member not too long ago, and it was just 
what I could tell was it had been forwarded from 300 white men, <laughs> older white men. You could just sort of go down, go down. And it was very angry about something involving the Electoral College. And it made a interesting point. And then I looked it up and it was not. It had, it was news that had been cherry picked and altered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all went back to uh, it was actually someone misquoted a Breitbart article mm-hmm. in order to make and their point. That starts. Starts right. the avalanche. And this had been sent to hundreds of people, it seemed like. And yeah. it, it uh, without being examined, it did make a very good argument. But then it just it wasn't based in truth. And so right. I sent that back to that family member and they said, oh, OK. I was like, well, <laughs> I guess. Oh, OK. <laughs> it's yeah, dangerous. No. Yeah, it's scary. That's right. But that's gaslighting relationship, right? They're right. trying to make that that relationship makes you feel less important when they just say, oh. That's not right. Oh, well, uh, whatever. Yeah. You know, they're they're minimalizing or minimizing you. Uh, so I, I tend for for information gathering. I I do uh, visit Snopes all the time. Uh, yep. Snopes dot com is a great resource. That's for where I found hiding. the the different uh, information about the email was Snopes. Yes. And then I actually went to the link to the bright, the original Breitbart article for myself just to sort yeah. of double check. And yeah, Snopes is great. Uh, it, it is great. And they do some some great work. This, uh, uh, you know, this group of people now and the website has come a long way. Uh, but even so, one of the things that is so great about Snopes is that it's it is traceable, right? You can go through and when they say something is false, they can tell you exactly why they give you the exact quotes from right. the original sources that you can you can sort through yourself and actually see what is being twisted and where it's being twisted and, and just how much it's being twisted and those things i think is that, that makes snopes a must bookmark place yeah it is more it, it's more difficult when you talk about getting out of a relationship an interpersonal relationship where you're being gaslit or you know unconsciously and and the problem is i i find all of these sort of psychology resources you know spinning off of psychology today and they all have recommendations that go something like this and you have to put yourself in the space of being gaslit right you okay. are in this power vacuum where you have a limited amount of power in the relationship or no power in the relationship relationship. And these are the first kinds of recommendations that these professionals have to say. One, give yourself permission to feel. (laughs) Give yourself permission to have compassion for yourself. Mm. Start making hard choices. Start by making a sacrifice. What? (laughs) What does any of that mean? And why am I getting so turned on? Uh, (laughs) ASMR gaslighting, everybody. (laughs) Oh, the future. (laughs) It's it's just it's a good grief, like forehead slapping kind of moment when you're trying to figure out how to how to get out of this. And that's because it's so hard. Right there. Right. It's all great to start giving yourself permission to feel. But if you're in if you're being gaslighted, how do you even begin to make decisions for yourself? Right. And and so I did find uh, one resource back with Dr. Stern, who who called out that explicitly, that Mm. that it is you can't do that alone, right? You have to have a foundation, uh, a community that you can call on, somebody to say, hey, I'm starting to feel like my reality is not uh, is not what uh, it, it should be. I need help. Can you verify some of these things with me? Can I share with you my, what I'm experiencing in my head and you can reflect with me? Uh, is, is this real? Mm. Um and that that you need to essentially be able to to find an outlet to beg for an intervention, right? You have sure. to bring somebody else in. 
um, that is not in that relationship with you. Uh, and that's then you can give yourself permission to feel and give yourself permission to have compassion, all of those things. But very first, you have to find a way out of an abusive relationship. And um, and that often is impossible to do by yourself. Which makes it so much scarier to think about uh, our relationship with the media right now when it's constantly binging and buzzing. It's how can you possibly do it by yourself when all it wants is to get in your brain? Right. And there's just so much of it. All the time. There's so much of it. It reminds me of that great scene in Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, where they put the little bug bugbear with the thing in, in the helmet and they put the helmet on the character's heads and the oh, bugbear right. goes into the ear. Yeah, that's that's the that's <laughs> we call that gassy, the gaslighting bug. <laughs> I remember being terrified by that growing up. Rightfully so. Look how it's paid off in yeah. modern media. So we need a product. We need some sort of a product that can help you oh. uh, shake. This is something else for the WTS store. Right. What is the product that is going that we can offer? What can we do to give back the community to prevent you from being gaslit in the spirit of our mirrored inside and out box of social isolation? <laughs> our, our great, great jumping parachute. Right. Actually, just bed just sheets. Just a bed sheet. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. What is it that you can protect yourself from in order to get away from gaslighting, Tom? It's some real blue sky ideation here. Yeah. Well, I know if the Internet's involved, I think we could we could just sell like an EMP. It's a personal EMP. Yeah, a personal EMP. Oh, OK. Instead of just for electricity, it's a personal EMP where you can shut yourself off for a while. <laughs> So it's no gaslighting can get in. I think I might just be talking about ambient. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's a shoulder harness. Right. And kind of a truss over your head that yeah. and always floating over your head is a brick. And there's oh, a string. Interesting. And when yep. you pull the string, the brick falls and just knocks you out. Sure. For a while. And then hopefully you will wake up very far. in a gaslight-free yeah. zone. Yeah. Or maybe it's, maybe there's something in the, the you know, noise-canceling headphone space. This, mm. is, this may be a real opportunity for us. You know, instead of white noise, when you put on these headphones and turn on the anti-gas lighting yep. uh, switch, that what what you hear the is... Kokomo? <laughs> how, did you, how did you know I was going to go Beach Boys? <laughs> because if anybody knows about gaslighting, it's Brian Wilson. Exactly. <laughs> Pete, regret of the week. This just happened a few days ago, and I'm still thinking about it <laughs> because it involves something that I do for a living. Uh, it's with young storytellers. I won't go into all what young storytellers is. I know we've talked about it on older podcasts, but either way, I was leading something called a day of story that ends. It's a four or five hour long program that ends with a bunch of fourth graders presenting story ideas to the rest of the group. And there was about 20 kids. And as it would, I mean, it was going on a little long and the presentations were going on and on and energy was really running low. So I had all the kids stand up and jump up and down and then spin around four times. Sounds good, right? So far, I heard a really loud thunk and a scream. <laughs> One kid had spun around too fast, lost his balance and hit his head on the desk. So now he's under the desk oh. crying, and then another mentor in the group goes, uh, Tommy, and points to another kid whose nose is bleeding because he hit 
himself in the face with his own hand while jumping around. And then I guess he fell over too. I do this as part of my living, Pete. And I I wanted to raise the energy up in a room and I injured two kids within four seconds and they both had to go to the nurse. These are fourth graders and I'm an adult. It's not, I mean, it ended up okay. They did come back, but yikes. Like everything just went catastrophically wrong so fast. That is my regret. something you won't regret, Tom. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get Audible. a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 300 billion titles to choose from. Wow. Your iPhone, Android, Kindle, your square audio playing device. Mm-hmm. And for listeners of What's That Smell, yeah, Audible is offering this free audiobook download. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash send of a podcast. You sign up for your free trial there, and then you can search for a book. And I've got this recommended book. I don't know. I it's I, If you're into horror books, I like this one. I am. You know this Guillermo del Toro fellow? You've yeah. heard of him. Yep. He Hellboy. Does, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hellboy. He did. Uh, he's got uh, Pan's Labyrinth, right? Did yep. that. Yeah, he did those things. And he's, you know, he's got a, a heck of a vision. Well, it turns out he also wrote a book and a series of books. And he and Chuck Hogan co-wrote The Strain. It's a trilogy about vampires invading the infrastructure and uh, humanity of uh, starting with the United States and then the world. And uh, talk about gaslighting. Mm. Uh, there, The first book is a, a great example of exactly all the stuff we've been talking about, how these the, the master vampires uses all of his wiles to make humanity feel insignificant and could play right into his hands. And so it's a great book about resistance and horror stuff. And if you like those kinds of books, you should check out The Strain, a trilogy of books that you can get all three of them on Audible at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Pete, I have a red hot and shiny new listener submission this week, and I think it's going to be very relatable because it happens all the time. Are you ready? Oh, I'm very excited. All right. This comes to us from Anonymous. Quote, my anxiety is embarrassingly simple. It's being asked, quote, how are things? And the variations on how are you? What's new? Any good news? Especially among friends or acquaintances I only see or talk to occasionally. A Christmas party is a nightmare of anticipation. Write that down as another possible title for this podcast. <laughs> nightmare of anticipation. Sorry, I feel like if I don't have a great accomplishment, victory, or something positive to brag about, it's always disappointing. Of course, even more so on days things aren't going well. Trying to blow off the question, I will often answer with a jokey, live in the dream, good, or nothing exciting. I am continually amazed how few people take the cue. Most just follow up with more specific questions. Dating anyone? Any acting jobs? Etc making it worse. I have been coached by friends to plan something in advance to talk about and even watch them apply this technique. But when I do it, I always feel like I am lying and it's super obvious. Very telltale heart. It's not that I don't want to talk to people, movies, sports, food, politics, pets, etc. Any of these topics just prefer to avoid the personal life review, which is somehow what how are things can feel like. End quote. 
First and foremost, thank you so much for submitting Anonymous. And I know for a fact that people will relate to this because more than one friend of mine has brought up this anxiety to me. And personally, I used to feel it a ton. Pete, how about you? How about you? Well, I think you know my answer to this. When somebody says, how's things? I always say, crazy, crazy, crazy. <laughs> you just scream, I feel like I'm an imposter. And then just run out of the room. <laughs> this is, these are just the lessons that I've learned from this show. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a it's a, a veritable cornucopia of potential responses to this <laughs> this particular question. I do. Uh, I used to have this same problem, and I can't remember what it was that kind of turned me around. I think I think it was when I the the first time somebody said how's things, and I said pretty crappy. Oh, like just answered honestly. And and it all I, I realized that the world didn't end. Mm-hmm. And you know what else? The other person said, really? Why? As if they were shocked into answering or, or into having a conversation. That's interesting. I mean, that gets into social media that we, we've yeah. talked about, that everyone is just sort of showing off a hit parade um, of of greatest hits. I mean, yeah, instead of right. actually getting really real about it. Yeah, it seems to just boil down to being uh, to a fear of being judged, Uh, more specifically being judged in comparison to others and or by what we currently are not. So why is it that you that you say that this is in the past for you? What's the difference? Well, I came at it head on and I figured out actually (laughs) I was taken aback a little bit reading this, uh, uh, reading the submission, because when uh, she or he says, I've been coached by friends to plan something in advance to talk about, that's what I do. <laughs> I noticed that I was feeling this more and more, especially because compared to a lot of my friends, I don't adult as hard, meaning I'm not married. I don't have kids. I live in an apartment. These things, I was looking down on myself for some of these things in comparison as my friends move into houses, have kids, get married in opposite order. And so what I realized, I it came from me trying to be really nice to myself. Um, okay. So do you want to talk about the basics idea first, or just should we go right into what I do practically, what I do to this day? No, let's talk about the basics first. Give me the intro. Okay. Well, I found something interesting on a blog called Social Anxiety Shortcuts. Um, and I do like, I'm glad that Anonymous did say that they're, they don't seem to suffer from social anxiety in that they do want to go out and talk to people. It's just about these things. Um, anyways, this is what I found on the blog. When you fear someone is judging you, what you're really doing is judging yourself and the other person. So let me break that down. Number one, you assume you've done something or are something that is going to cause a negative judgment. That is a reflection of your own fears. But number two, you assume the other person feels the same way about that situation and will also judge you. This is a projection, back to projection, of your own thoughts onto someone else. So you're really doing the work of two people. (laughs) And it's all (laughs) and it's all based in just your own judgment of yourself. That's really interesting because it sort of begs the question, like, who are you talking to? Are you talking to the person who asked the question, really? Or are you just trying to figure out how you're going to talk to yourself? I think. I think you're really just sort of talking to a mirror because, I mean, as much as possible, I try to remember that the only one seeing such an unflattering spotlight on me is me. Right. And so I try to be kind to myself. And if I'm not going through the best time or feel like I'm not as successful as my other friends, that's okay. Everyone has times like that. And as Mm -hmm. much as possible, I try and remember that other people's success isn't a comment on me or my overall worth and that they aren't judging me. Again, it's just really me judging myself. 
It can mm-hmm. be really hard sometimes, but it doesn't need to make social situations hard. Uh, now I can talk about the practicality of what I do. Yeah, I can see why saying living the dream or good produces follow-up questions because there's been nothing specific offered. Specific doesn't have to mean your life story or emotional pitfalls. And this isn't based on uh, research. This is just me talking. So question okay. this. I don't want to accidentally <laughs> gaslight the internet with this dumb stuff. But what I figured out is that people the right people really don't care about my accomplishments. They just want me to be happy and feel a connection during the conversation. How I started dealing with it is when I was catching up, I would have an anecdote ready. Something interesting or funny happens at everyone's job and in everyone's life. So just sort of keep that in your back pocket because these people aren't looking for my life story just to check in. So if Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable giving them a full uh, sum up, I would just tell the anecdote and then pivot the conversation right back to them because they probably just want to talk about themselves anyway. And so (laughs) if you can just sort of uh, I like, for instance, I would tell if someone said, how's work going? I would tell that story I just told in my regret and then pivot back to them. How are you? Yeah, then that's fine. Then I don't have to go into the fact that if work is. Uh, a little light right now, or if I'm having some money troubles, they, unless I want to share that, there's no need to, I don't feel that that's what people are really looking for. I think it's a connection, something specific, and then a pivot. That's what I do. If I'm feeling sort of a little down, this is, this is where it gets confusing for me because what everything that I'm, I have in my head as you're talking about this is somebody who like, I know, and that, you know, maybe we haven't seen each other in a while. Maybe we see each other at a restaurant or at the bank or something who goes to a bank, the bank, maybe, (laughs) but what happens when, and this is, you know, this is my experience when you go and you're like driving through a Starbucks and sometimes I just want the drink. Just hand me my drink and let's and <laughs> you can scan my phone and we can move on with our day. Like I don't need platitudes, but let's just say my drink is taking a little bit longer to steam or foam or whatever is mm. going on in, in the workshop. Yeah. They'll lean out the window and they'll scan. We'll do our little exchange. And then they'll say, so how's your day? <laughs> then, then what? What do I don't? What, what do you do? What's what's your natural response? Like, I usually say something like sun's still shining, you know, like as, <laughs> as if the alternative is it's the end of the world. Like, right. <laughs> well, I'm still not breathing dead, for now. Is, <laughs> exactly. Such a like morbid. That, that is really morbid. But it's always the first place I go is this like, well, it's either this or we're all dead <laughs> response, which is terrible. Why well, I, I say good. How's yours? Isn't that? the the oh, social contract man <laughs> oh, God. wait do you really you just, you just made it sound so easy of course it is it's, the, pi- it's the pivot you started this anxiety and i thought no i got this one under control and now i'm feeling <laughs> really terrible that was you doing the work of five people right. <laughs> yeah i mean it, just remember that this conversation is for your benefit Like you were the one, if someone asks you, it's so they can feel good about your guy's relationship. They can feel good about themselves for asking and to cover up that horrible silence that is always around us at all times, threatening to break our brains. And so, yeah, I just, I ideally, I just, for me, I'm not telling anonymous what to do. I can't tell anyone what to do. I just learned to relax and realize that it's not a angry question. 
how I choose to let it make me feel is a choice I'm making. And so I chose and it took a while. And again, I'm doing a little bit of work. Again, I'm saying that I have this story in my back pocket if I need it. Um, But if you're just sort of prepared like that, I think it's fine. And I'm being nice to myself in that I'm believing that it's not obvious of what I'm doing. I remember that's something that Anonymous said, that she or he said that uh, she or he feels it's really obvious. If they're lying or just sort of moving the conversation along, I doubt it. I disagree. I don't think people are looking that hard. Wow. I need practice. <laughs> oh, like, you know, how's your day? Well, we're not living in our dystopian Mad Max future yet. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> So you're just driving around <laughs> bumming everybody out at coffee places? <laughs> Call me. Happy McDoodle Pants. <laughs> Think you were made just to blend right in To avoid big mistakes or to tally your sins You might get to the end doing nothing wrong To find you never lived at all Thank you all so much for joining us in this episode. Today's tune is Mold Breakers by Jay Denton. Coming up next week... I want to say true, but I bet the idea is false. Yeah, it is, because you should be seeing a pattern. (laughs) to my rigorous line of inquiry, mostly. I am not currently married to a speech therapist, currently. (laughs) But Uh, looking. But 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 fingers crossed. Well, I mean, you you have to look up and know the word you want to say, and then we'll tell you the anxiety you're probably experiencing as you say it. Until then, I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? Silence your voice